Welcome to the Money Rules Podcast, where we tackle your personal financial matters with leading financial advisors. Your host, we do Melon Tax-free accounts, often referred to as tax-free savings or tax-free investments, have become increasingly popular as they offer a variety of benefits for anyone looking to grow their money while minimizing their tax liability. In this episode, I'm joined by Gareth Collier, who is a certified financial planner at Crew Invest. He'll be walking us through the ins and outs of these products and tackle important questions such as transferring savings to investment accounts, the tax advantages unique to these structures, and the often misunderstood topic of death taxes and expenses associated with these investments. Welcome, Gareth. Hi, Timmy. Thanks for having me. Gareth, can you please briefly explain what a tax-free account is? So tax-free accounts were introduced in 2015, and they were a way to incentivize people to to save, ultimately. Um, Unfortunately, we have quite a poor savings culture in South Africa. So these types of accounts were introduced as as a way for people to kind of have an incentive to, to save more. Um, although we don't get the same uh, tax deduction for the contributions like we do for our retirement funds, uh, like our retirement funds, all of the growth of any kind within a tax-free account is fully tax exempt. Um, There are some stipulations, however. So currently, uh, since inception up until now, the lifetime allowance for the contributions is still currently sitting at half a million rand. And to be able to get there, currently you can only put uh, up to 36,000 Rand per tax year into your tax-free account uh, in, anyone, in any given tax year. We often hear the terms tax-free savings and tax-free investments being used interchangeably. Is there a difference between the two? In essence, no, they are one and the same. Uh, however, you know, the, the legislation refers to a tax-free savings account, although we probably have a gripe with that and say that was the first mistake. We shouldn't have called it a savings account because then people treat it like a savings account. And that was cottoned on to respectfully by a lot of the banks, you know, offering these uh, tax-free savings accounts where you could deposit money in and your any of the interest that you earn on those deposits, it's not taxable. But we're very quick to forget that, you know, every taxpayer in the country, when you're earning interest, the first uh, 23,800 rand of interest that you earn in a tax year is exempt already. So if you look at it mathematically, you'd probably need to have about 400,000 rand in your account at about 7% before you even pay one rand of tax in any case. And, you know, with these limitations in terms of contributions and the fact they've only been around for about eight tax years now, nobody feasibly is going to have as much as that in their tax-free savings account uh, yet to even benefit from from the tax-free savings accounts. So, you know, your tax-free account, you, you can allocate to any underlying investments. And really, the value is going to come where you avoid some of the other taxes that you would pay, not necessarily interest. So for people who hold tax-free savings accounts, can they transfer them to an investment account? Yes, of course you can. They, you are allowed to move any tax-free savings or investment account between different service providers and different investment platforms. It is a tax-free transfer. So provided that you transfer the account, don't go disinvest where you draw the money out back into your bank account and then think you're going to pay it into the new tax-free account on the other platform. Um, and there are no there's, there, there's no penalties for those transfers. So if you are moving from one to the other, provided that you follow the transfer process – 
there shouldn't be any penalties obviously there's no there's no tax implications either so yes you are free to do so besides interest tax are there any other tax advantages with the tfsa that would not apply to other investment or savings products Yes, so so the so the real value in a in a tax free uh, investment or savings account is where you're saving on other taxes, such as if you're holding investments in equities, where you would be uh, earning dividends from those from those equity holdings, uh, regardless of your personal tax rate. Uh, tax on dividends is charged at a flat rate of twenty percent. So if you are in a typical discretionary unit trust account where you're earning some dividends, you're liable. Or the, the account is liable to pay 20% tax on that. Within the tax-free structure, you, you're exempt from that. And that obviously over time can compound very, very significantly. Similarly, if you are in a tax-free account and you are, you've allocated money to XYZ um, equity fund and you want to switch to a different one, um, any of the capital gains that you've made in your original investment before the switch, that's fully exempt from any capital gains tax. Whereas if you were in a discretionary unit trust, you would have to consider, are there any gains? What are the capital gains tax taxes going to be? So those are the two primary ones, because that's generally where your, your growth is driven from your investments. So a lot of benefit from, from sitting in the tax-free structure with those discretionary savings. Let's talk about death taxes and expenses on these investments. Are there any benefits in this regard? Yeah, so without getting into the, the, the um, technicalities of it, if the tax-free account is sitting on a platform's life license, and the easiest way to find that out is when you do the application, do they ask you to nominate a beneficiary on the account? If that is the case, when you have a named beneficiary to that account, then if you pass away, that account is not subject to executive fees. Whereas if you if you don't, then naturally it's going to go into your estate and whatever that value is, the executor is going to have to distribute it in terms of your will. Um, so if you do have that option on your tax-free account, make sure that you are nominating your, your beneficiaries. However, regardless of whether you've got a beneficiary nomination or not, the amounts in the tax-free account will always be included in your estate for estate duty purposes. Gareth, I suppose the fact that estate duty is charged on a TFSA is one of the negatives. Are there any other disadvantages associated with the TFSA? Well, yes. I mean, although it is included for, for estate duty purposes, um, given the estate abatements, you know, if, you're, if your total estate, including your tax-free account, is, is three and a half million or less, you're not going to pay tax anyway. Okay, so, so make sure that you are aware of that. And then the other side, we, we, we looked at a little earlier in terms of the, the limits to your tax-free uh, contributions. On an annual basis, you know, you've got to think of your contributions to a tax-free almost like a one-way street, right? Let's say you, you're keen, you save, you put your 36,000 allowance in the March, so right in the beginning of the tax year, and then a couple of months later, your car has a mechanical failure, right? Now you need 10,000 Rand to repair that, and you draw that out of your tax-free account. Uh, then you get your Christmas bonus, you've got some extra money. Now you want to, in inverted commas, put back the 10,000 that you took out during the tax year. Um, it's not going to be seen as a replacement of the 10,000 withdrawal. It's going to be treated as an additional contribution. 
distribution. So when you get to the end of the tax year, it's going to say, no, hang on, you actually made 46,000 Rand of total contributions to your tax-free accounts. Because you went over the the annual limit, the additional 10,000 is actually taxed at a flat rate of 40%, like a a penalty. So, you know, it's quite punitive to, to go over that annual limit. And then, of course, the same would apply if you ever eventually went over the 500,000 lifetime limit. So those taxes on those over contributions are quite heavy. Gareth, just lastly, can you hold multiple tax-free savings accounts? Yes, of course. In theory, there's there's nothing stopping you having multiple. But again, you've got to be very careful that you don't inadvertently fall into that that over contribution taxation. So so yes, I mean, there's nothing stopping you having twelve accounts with three thousand rand each, and you hit your thirty six thousand for the year, and then you you make sure that you don't over contribute unintentionally. And then also the other consideration is that people will tend to say, right, well, I really want to help say my kids get going on this, you know, they sort of in their uh, under 10 or tweens or whatever the case may be, you open this account in their name, right? And you, you start allocating money to it so that they get the advantage. Just make sure in that circumstance that you've, that you educate them over the years to understand that when you are making those contributions on their behalf, you are already contributing towards their 500,000 Rand lifetime allowance. So, you know, if they finish school and they draw all the money out and they buy a car, whatever the case is, you know, they would have taken a significant amount of their lifetime allowance away from themselves already. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Gareth. No, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. That was Gareth Collier, who is a certified financial planner at Crew Invest. need to go one-third, two-thirds. You can access the full amount. You can also take drawdown as and when you want. And you can make adult contributions during this time uh, intermittently. You're also not regulated by any uh, limit on your asset allocation. So you can have 100% equity exposure. And of course, that can benefit you in the long run. Let's talk about the allocation of retirement savings to offshore assets. What factors should individuals consider when deciding how much of the retirement savings should be based offshore? It's a tricky question because not once you fits all, each individual is unique. But I think the fundamental starting point is looking at your financial plan holistically. So things such as investment goals, risk appetite, and very importantly, the time horizon before you need to access those funds are important. But one thing we do with our clients is go through their balance sheet in depth. And surprisingly, you're you might not realize how much capitalization or overcapitalization people have in South Africa. So not just looking at their financial assets, but things like their cars, their homes, their companies, et cetera. They may realize that they're overcapitalized in a higher sort of risk jurisdiction and they need to tilt the scales out. So what we typically do is we recommend that their risky assets or funds, funds that they can put away for five to seven years plus, invest in offshore markets. And this gives them a buffer because layered on top of underlying market movement is the RAND fluctuation. So by giving a five to seven year plus allocation of your offshore investment, you can navigate the the volatility. Moving on to the tax implications of offshore plans, how do they differ from local plans such as retirement savings in terms of tax treatment? Yeah, so I think firstly to point out is that direct offshore investments have no tax benefits or deductions. It's all post-tax money. 
whereas locally pre-retirement contributions have deductions and benefits. So if you're saving for a pension or into an RA, you can save up to 27.5% of your taxable income, or you can get it back. And that's obviously limited to a maximum of 355000 that will be deducted from your taxable income. So practically, if you earn a million rand and you put 275000 in towards retirement savings, you'd only be taxed on 725000 But on the other side of the coin, when it comes to the offshore tax, uh, to the offshore contributions, there are no deductions. The main benefit for the offshore is that you have already paid your tax and the only tax applicable would typically be capital gains tax. Of course, it depends on the nature of how you take that drawdown when you do start taking benefit from your offshore pension. If you take it in lumpy amounts, such as like once a year or every three months and then it's six months afterwards, it would be seen as capital. But if you're taking it regularly, of course, it would be seen as income and you'd be taxed accordingly to your, your individual tax rate. Sean, do these offshore plans offer protection against personal creditors? So again, it depends on the offshore structure and whether it falls inside your estate. Typically, your custodian accounts and direct unit trust investments are in your own name and therefore do form part of your estate, offering you not much protection. But when you look at the the more complicated structures like an international pension plan and offshore trust, these do fall outside your estate and they do offer some level of protection. As mentioned, though, this is quite aggressive estate planning tools. And how can listeners interested in these products access them? So engaging with reputable financial advisors like Paragon Wealth Managers, you know, that, that's always a good step. They'll help you guide, guide investors through the intricacies of offshore planning. It's important to not only have a clearer understanding of the tax implications, estate planning, etc., but also an understanding of what you invested into offshore. And accessing these products does require professional knowledge. So I'd always recommend going with a reputable financial advisor. Sean, we know a lot of people think offshore investing is mostly for high net worth individuals. What are the minimum investment amounts for these plans? And are there any other costs investors need to be mindful of? Yeah, and it's a, it's a good point. I think there are obviously some minimums, but it also really depends on the structure and the platform. For example, going directly to a unit trust or a fund domiciled in Mauritius in the UK have minimums starting as low as $4,500, which is around 85,000 rand. And the cost of that would simply be the TR of that fund. Again, you would be saving on the platform cost. Custodian accounts are a bit more expensive. They typically have minimums between 200 to 300 pounds per annum, which is around five to 10,000 rand, or 1.5% of the net asset value. Global endowments are also a bit more pricey. They, they typically have minimums of around $30,000, which is around 600,000 rand. And they also charge a platform fee or endowment fee of 0.5%. And then as you move down the list to the more, I suppose, complicated structures like international pension plans, they typically start around £750 a year to £1,300 a year, which is between 17000 to 30000 rand a year. But I suppose the counter argument there is if you do have a structure like that is you might be saving on the estate planning or the estate duty. So... Those are the direct offshore sort of costs, but it should be noted that there are easier ways to get offshore exposure through local institutes. So, for example, 
uh, Easy Equities. You can start a, a, an account through Easy Equities for as little as 100 Rand, and you can invest in offshore domicile funds and asset classes. Sean, for our listeners who are really interested in this plan, do you perhaps have figures on how offshore retirement plans have fared compared to local retirement funds? I think it's all down to what you have been invested in because no plan is always the exact same. So it depends on what the underlying investments have been done. For example, have you been in global equities? Have you been in bonds? Have you been in cash, etc.? One thing I can share with you is how the offshore markets have compared to the South African markets. And if we look at the S&P 500, which is our U.S. market, in RAND terms, it has done an annualized return of 16.92% over the last 10 years. By comparison, the JSC has done 4.96% over the last 10 years. So the offshore markets, or the U.S. market anyway, has outperformed the JSC market by close to 12% year on year for the last 10 years. And that should give you a good indication of how the offshore market performs comparatively. Sean, just as we wrap up, are there any other aspects we haven't covered that investors need to be aware of? I think as always, it's just consider your holistic financial plan and your entire balance sheet. Importantly, look at your estate planning, your last will and testament, both locally and globally. All of these things are of massive considerations when looking at offshore investments. Liquidity and currency risk, as well as political stability of the chosen investment jurisdiction, must be considered as well. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Sean. Thank you, Timmy. That was Sean Kelly, who is a wealth manager at Paragon Wealth Managers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Money Rules Podcast. To listen to more, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Money Rules. MoneyWeb. Money. Your trusted source for business and investment insights.